and welcome to the sweet spot on a farm episode 47. If this is your first episode and you have no idea what this podcast is about, the sweet spot is all about natural health. I talk to natural health and fitness professionals, organic and healthy food producers and anyone whose business and life's mission it is to help us keep healthy. We talk about natural therapies, fitness routines, herbs, organic farming, and we talk about food and share plant-based recipes to support and nourish our body. And food is what this episode is all about. Um, today, we will talk about our relationship with food with a psychologist, nutrition professional, and a food disorder specialist, Claire Feldman from Etology. Hi, Claire. How Hi. are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, this is an area that I have been wanting to cover for quite a while and the topic came up particularly when I was talking to Jane McClanahan mm-hmm. um, of Vital Nutrition and we touched a little bit on food shaming and I realized that actually it really is an important topic we do need to talk about because mm-hmm. our relationship with food if it isn't healthy, then obviously we aren't healthy. And mm-hmm. I've, I've seen and met people whose bad relationship with food led to some severe health issues. Mm-hmm. But before we get on to that, um, I'd like to know a little bit about you. Because this field is so complex and so difficult, I'd like to know what drew you into the world, first of all, the world of psychology, mm-hmm. and then specifically into the world of food disorders. Okay. Um, well, I've been practicing as a psychotherapist now for around eight years. Um, and what drew me, I suppose, into more of the psychology of eating was about, probably about seven years ago, my mum, unfortunately, was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, you know, as you do when you have someone that you love who is ill, you want to you want to fix it for them and you want to try and find solutions. And I did what I don't recommend any of my clients do, which is start to research through the powers of Google um, and via the Internet that I was trying to just desperately find answers and try and find solutions that were going to help her. Um, and I suppose in, in my deep depths of, of all the research, I kept coming across, I suppose, nutrition and lifestyle and just the role that it plays in our well-being and our, our prevention um, of disease. Um, so that really sparked my interest initially in nutrition. Um, and that led me um, to study as a nutrition and lifestyle coach. Um, how I got into more of the psychology of eating, um, I had attended um, a course up in Belfast in Life Therapies Clinic with a lady called Bridget McKenna. Um, Bridget McKenna is, to me, um, the leading expert in anything to do with eating disorders, psychology of eating in Ireland and, and possibly in the UK. She's a fabulous source of information and an incredibly inspiring woman and I attended a course that she delivered called Food and Mood and it was very much about the role of nutrition in mental health. Um, there was a lot um, covered around the subject of our gut health and our gut health and the connection with mental health um, and again that just sparked such an interest into our relationship with food and the role that food has on our well-being. Um, 
how that then developed into psychology of eating is that Bridgine is an eating disorder specialist. Um, I do have a history of my own disordered eating, so it was something that I'm very familiar with. Um, and I guess just the more, the more I read, the more I studied, the more initially I was seeing clients just who were looking to lose weight and improve their health and improve their well-being but the more clients that I worked with the more that I realized that there's something much deeper going on here and that for so many of the people I was working with their relationship with food was really unhealthy and um, so it was that that spurred me on then to train as a eating disorder specialist um, and I guess that pretty much all the clients that I would work with now I tend to not really work with clients just for nutrition or health coaching it is very much people who recognize that they have a really unhealthy relationship with food and need help overcoming it and that has become kind of my specialism and um, because it's something I have my own personal experience with and I'm also I'm really passionate about helping um, I tend to work with women primarily but I'm also really passionate about helping women um, move away from this whole diet culture that we have um, because I just think it breeds just such unhealthy behaviours so if I can help you know be a little one woman mission to guide women away from dieting behaviours to guide them away from slimming clubs to guide them away from all of these kind of unhealthy behaviours that's what I'm kind of setting out to do. That sounds really interesting because I have noticed that even with myself whenever I was on the journey of changing my lifestyle and changing the way I was eating and thinking about food in order to get healthy, I did think about the change as a diet mm -hmm. at the beginning rather mm -hmm. than lifestyle and that launched me onto this kind of yo-yo mm -hmm. effect that you probably recognize specifically mm -hmm. with people who are trying to lose weight yeah when I would go really really healthy not eating the stuff I wasn't supposed to be eating for maybe two or three months mm -hmm. and then I would suddenly see something that I shouldn't be eating but I really wanted and I would go for it because I mm -hmm. thought oh I can just cheat mm -hmm. and then it would set my health back again yeah. and I would start all over again mm -hmm. and I just thought about the, the change that I was making from a very wrong perspective yeah and so I do understand that what you mean by steering people away from the diet because it is a really I feel it's the wrong way to mm -hmm. think about it and there is a massive diet culture and I do feel that the issue might also be with social media anywhere you look mm -hmm. you know there are diets advertised there are dietary shakes that will help you lose your weight or magic pills that you can incorporate into your diet and I think that we gave the word diet a very different meaning that really messes with our mind yeah absolutely and I suppose any time I suppose the the difficulty when it comes to weight loss is the approach is always short term and when we think about embarking on a diet it is always based on until I get to x amount of weight so it isn't looking at actually how am I going to change my relationship with food how am I going to change my lifestyle how am I going to change the habits that I'm in and um, we tend to approach it from how am I going to follow this meal plan until the scales get to a number that I'm happy with and there's just there's too many problems associated with that because we number one we actually 
don't know what our ideal body weight should be that most people when they embark on a diet they just decide in their head what the number is that they want to see on the scales but the body doesn't comply like that your body knows where it's meant to be and it's going to do whatever it can to keep you at that weight so people often have a specific weight in mind that they're trying to manipulate their body to get to that it's possibly not intended to be at it tends to be a short-term focus so there's a specific meal plan that's being followed so you're maybe then eating foods that you don't particularly enjoy with the sole purpose of getting to a specific weight um, and then probably the biggest problem is that when people are trying to lose weight they then assume they must cut everything that they enjoy out of their diet and our, our brain doesn't like to hear that it's not allowed something so when you're telling yourself for example I mustn't eat chocolate and that's all you're hearing in your mind I mustn't eat chocolate I mustn't eat chocolate your, your brain is then saying no but I want it so your your desire and your craving for the foods that you're trying to deny yourself then intensify and what we know is that dieting behavior always results in binge type behavior so the more that you deny yourself something the more likely you are to actually then binge on it um, eventually and then when you binge on these certain foods what it's likely to lead to then is self-loathing self-critical type behaviors guilt emotions of guilt and then people fall back into that whole deprivation cycle again of diet and and binge so it's not it's not a healthy place to be so um, that's why I'm just so passionate about trying to help women to overcome these these patterns because it's it's become just part of normal society and everybody you know so many people are engaging in it but don't recognize that it's actually very unhealthy so why do you think that so many people have so many issues with um you know when it comes to food where does it start um I think that um, the problem is that we've got too much information available at our hands um, and I think that so much of the information that we read is contradictory so I think people get really confused about how they should eat um, and you know I think that the the issues around health and I'm, I suppose in particular I would work with obesity that you know the obesity epidemic has been around for say 30 40 50 years uh, and I guess on a bigger scale we have to look at what has changed over the last 30 40 50 years and so much has changed in that we now have access to highly processed foods that we probably didn't before um, our whole environment has been set up to make it everything much more accessible and easier drive-throughs takeaways food delivery services um, we don't do jobs that are as physically demanding as we used to do we do a lot of sedentary jobs now office-based roles um, perhaps 30 40 50 years ago women m would have maybe more traditionally been at home cooking meals from scratch um, and now a lot of women are working and working full-time and doing demanding jobs so they need easy accessible convenience meals as well so I think that the situation has become much more complex because actually the whole environment the world around us the food that we eat everything has changed quite dramatically over the last 40 or 50 years um, and along with that diets got introduced <laughs> You know, there used to be a time when we didn't know what macronutrients were, we didn't know what calories were, 
but we we did okay. <laughs> we did okay. We ate, you know, three square meals and we we cooked simple, nutritious meals, but now we have too much information, too much option, um, and too much, I suppose, when, when a, a mind is confused, um, it doesn't really know where to go. And I think probably I see an awful lot of people who just have... Um, have lost their way and uh, just feel completely confused when it comes to trusting their own body, knowing what they like, knowing what makes them feel good and they get, I suppose, so confused that they um, they end up making choices probably that aren't good for them. I suppose it's very difficult when you're busy and leading the lifestyle we do living in mm -hmm. cities and in the, the, this whole culture of buy 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 have have mm -hmm. have you know mm -hmm. everybody starts to working and pushing for making money and we start to obviously have less time for ourselves and, yeah um it was actually listening very interesting podcast uh by dr chatterjee um last week and he was talking about how when he used to visit years ago his family in, in India, how uh, they had this culture of um, cooking proper, mm -hmm. full, homemade meal before the kids went off to school. So mm -hmm. they would have eaten a proper, say, selection of curries and, and proper homemade bread yeah. and that sort of thing. And now they no longer do it because mm -hmm. there are these fast foods yeah. that are available mm -hmm. from the Western world. And I remember the the moment when all these fast foods and uh, packaged ready meals got introduced to our supermarkets mm -hmm. whenever I grew up in Czech Republic and whenever after the Velvet Revolution when the borders opened to the West mm -hmm. and big supermarkets opened up suddenly we were flooded with these pre-packaged things mm -hmm. that were synthetic and no fresh food inside and it became very convenient because mm -hmm. my mom was a single mom there were a lot of parents in the same situation and when you're a single parent and you're working you don't have that much time to cook and mm -hmm. prepare fresh meals three times a day for your family um, so having these processed foods, which we didn't really recognize as mm -hmm. processed synthetic yeah. foods that weren't good for you, it was really um, convenient. Mm -hmm. it, it was helping us yeah. um, in a way to uh, be more productive and, and have handy foods that were keeping us fed and we thought healthy mm -hmm. and we thought as long as there was vegetable in it it was good for you and mm -hmm. we never read the labels we never yeah. knew what was inside and actually from what I remember for the first good few years when, when, I, when I was a child there actually weren't even labels telling you no. exactly what's in the food yeah. that got introduced much much later and mm -hmm. um, so I guess would it be fair to say that all this is a combination of how we grew up and our psyche as well as what we are surrounded by? Yeah, I think it's probably both. It's what we what we grow up, what we're used to, but I think also as human beings that we will also um, default to 
um, convenience as well. We will try and find the easiest options in, in things as well. And there's no getting away from, you know, if you're trying to eat healthily or lose weight, that it involves organisation, it involves planning, it involves meal prep. You know, it does involve all of those aspects. And if we are living very busy and stressful lives and have children and we're trying to juggle jobs and, and all of the pressures of modern living that it's understandable why people will default also you know to convenience so I think that that does play a huge role in it and I think probably we're living times at the minute that are the most stressful that we have ever have ever lived so yeah it's um it definitely requires more thought and more planning to try and live a healthier lifestyle and whilst I think personal responsibility is is key and we must take personal responsibility for our own health and our own wellness there is also I suppose a much bigger um bit around um the environment that we are in the quality of food um that's being processed um and issues like making you know highly processed foods so cheap and affordable and maybe other um, more nutritious foods more expensive and, and out of people's reach as well so it's a that's why I suppose it is such a complex issue that you could be discussing and debating for such a long time that actually is is a whole discussion for another whole episode yeah. the um the way the foods are made the foods are advertised mm -hmm. and the fact that food manufacturers take absolutely zero responsibility for what they actually put in the mm -hmm. food um which is a huge problem i think and it really needs addressed and it's probably gonna take years before mm -hmm. uh, this is changed but um that's a that's a whole another yeah. topic <laughs> <laughs> but um if somebody's going through a patch of really bad relationship with food do people usually recognize themselves that they have issue with food or is it something that um, they would maybe come to you not realizing that's what the problem is? I, I suppose mixed. Some people will be fully aware that this has been an issue for a long time and that it's maybe just gotten completely out of control and that they want help with it. Other people will maybe come and they'll say, um, and I'll get this quite a lot, oh, I'm just too greedy or I just can't stop eating these foods and they'll assume it's to do with a lack of willpower um, and it's only probably when they come in and then they start to work with me that actually the issues run much deeper and it's got nothing to do with willpower because willpower is only a short-term thing and we only have a certain amount of it that actually their their eating behaviors are being driven by deeper psychological um, issues because you know so often we're, we're driven by our emotions we're emotional beings and you know food is just one of those things that we can often turn to at times of emotional distress how dangerous can this become if the wrong relationship with our food gets untreated and dismissed for long periods of time um well obviously the most serious of the eating disorders would be anorexia um, personally because I work in private practice I don't work with anorexia I would work more with um, binge eating and bulimia and emotional eating um, but of, of all the mental health conditions anorexia has the highest um, mortality rate 
um, because obviously with being at a very low body weight that there are serious health risks um, associated with it. So um, with um, anorexia, the advice, the recommendation would always be to go through GP um, and a referral being made then to the eating disorder service for appropriate support there. But um, yeah, it can get incredibly serious, particularly with um, anorexia once it is um, at a significant, when you're at a significant low body weight, that the health risks associated with that and premature death can be quite significant. Such a devious condition because when someone suffers from anorexia, that um, because such little food, it gets to the point where such little food is being consumed and the brain just isn't functioning properly, that unfortunately it's a, it's an awful condition and that the people, the loved ones around the sufferer can see that the person is incredibly ill, um, but the person themselves maybe doesn't quite recognise just how ill they actually are. Um, and that often people with anorexia will describe themselves as feeling fat and disgusting even though the image and the, and the body that is being presented to other people is the, the complete opposite of that and that they're actually severely underweight and a lot of that is just connected that the anorexia has taken over, the brain is not functioning properly, there is no fuel going to the brain so um, that the sufferer is unable to see themselves in the way that the people around them can see so unfortunately it's a really it's a very very cruel condition with any of these conditions that they can often start with an intention to lose weight um, and that may be the initial intention but as these conditions develop and they progress and they spiral that it, it really isn't about food the issue is not about food it is the underlying psychological issues and you know what can be very common um, with for example with anorexia is that it can be quite prevalent in young girls adolescents and and at that kind of age where maybe you know they're maturing um that's a horrible age I remember being that age and being full of anxiety and insecurities and you know exam pressures and you know at that age where you're supposed to be becoming a woman and and maybe feeling very uncomfortable at the fact that you're nearing adulthood and you don't feel like you're an adult you know and there's so much uncertainty that comes with with that kind of time that if you are feeling very volatile at that age you're feeling incredibly anxious that what we tend to do when we feel that way when we feel very anxious is that we want to try and get control in some way and a diet can be a perfect way to try and establish control so if I can't control all of these variables in my life if I have no control over all this terrible stuff maybe that's going on in the background in my life then I'll put my energy into controlling what I eat so it's all, you know, on a very subconscious level, it's um, a way of establishing control. Um, but unfortunately, with the nature of anorexia is that it gets to a point where it has spiralled be beyond that. And, and it, it, is, it no longer becomes about the food, it's about the, the control. So what about um, disorders that are maybe not that severe, that it would be blatantly obvious to someone mm -hmm. that their loved ones or friends are having health 
problems because yeah. obviously with anorexia as you mentioned yeah. it, 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 it becomes obvious, obvious mm -hmm. and people can spot it miles away whereas there are probably some food disorders and, and issues that are not this easy to spot and that can go on and on and on without anybody recognizing that yeah. Absolutely. Well, the the danger, I suppose, yes, absolutely. With anorexia, it, it would be obvious to those, to the loved ones around. The danger with more um, binge eating or bulimia would be that often those individuals can carry either very normal body weights or be slightly overweight. So um, it wouldn't necessarily present itself as being obvious to people around. Um, and it's also, um, they are eating disorders that <clears throat> carry a lot of shame and a lot of guilt with them. So you you may find that individuals that struggle with them, um, a lot of it is kept secret. So a lot of their eating would be done in secret or a lot of their purging behaviours would be done in secret. So it wouldn't necessarily be obvious to other people um, around them. The binge eating and, and bulimia... Um, do these start the same way as anorexia? Is, is they it can, yeah, they can start in exactly the same way that they can, with, with most of them, they tend to start with a diet. Um, that they tend to start with a diet, but at some point it gets to um, um, a, a point, I suppose, where it feels like it's out of control then. So, like, for example, with myself, um, when I was around 16 or 17, I was overweight all of my childhood, and then... I guess I can look back on it now and recognise that actually there was just loads of anxiety going on in my life and I turned my attention to the diet um, and I lost quite a significant amount of weight in a short period of time um, and I remember then feeling an intense fear when my body weight was low, an intense fear of ever regaining weight. So I was trying to be very restrictive in the amounts that I was eating. And like I said earlier, that the body can't sustain that kind of restrictive eating. And then what can often happen is that people then engage in binge behavior. So I began binging to try and compensate then for the fact that I was binging and all of these foods that I'd been denying myself. I started exercising and over-exercising and then that became um, a way of trying to purge what I was eating and then eventually I began making myself sick and was vomiting. And, and that can be what a, a typical cycle may look like for someone um, who is struggling with bulimia, that it starts off with a diet but when it gets to the point of intense fear around weight regain or losing control that people will look for these kind of compensatory behaviours to try and maintain their weight. From your own experience and maybe experience with your clients, how easy is it to admit to yourself, to get to the point when you can actually admit to yourself that you have an issue and you need, you need to seek help? Because I, I can imagine that it's something people keep putting off. Um, I think it, it is very much just dependent on the individual. I mean, some people will struggle with it for years before they'll ever get to the point of seeking help for it. Um, or some people that might be that a loved one may may notice that there's something unusual in, in their habits or their, their behaviours. So it very much is dependent on the individual. But I think it, it can be one of those issues that can literally go on for years and years because there is so much kind of shame 
um, and guilt attached to it. So it's something that the person maybe doesn't even want to admit to themselves, let alone come and speak to somebody else and admit it. So quite often it's got to the point where um, they just, they recognise that they can't continue doing what they're doing and, and are concerned about the the harm that they're causing to themselves and to their health as well. How easy is it to get to the root cause of the issue? And as are the root causes, um, are there maybe common patterns to how all this starts or is it very much different person, very different issue that sets it off? Um, I think with, I suppose I can't, I can't just say well, that everybody is the same, that obviously everybody is unique, but there will be some kind of patterns of things that you will see you know for some there's maybe been some kind of traumatic events in childhood um sometimes there will be um maybe some learned behaviors from their experience in childhood and sometimes the relationship with the their mother um will have had an influence over their own kind of eating behavior so for example if their mother was always dieting if their mother was always very unhappy with their weight when you are a young female in a home with a mum who is unsatisfied with her body that you can pick up all kinds of messages about what does that mean about your own self-worth if you're mum's not happy um, with her body so there can be some um, common things like that that will often come out in discussions and in conversations I would say probably um, really at the, at the root cause with it and this is really oversimplifying is that, that there are real self-esteem issues and that often the the ladies that I work with have very low self-worth and don't think very highly of themselves and um, and when we start to actually work on building their self-esteem, helping them to feel better about themselves, helping them to overcome the, the little negative self-talk they have, the critic they have within them, how to be kinder to themselves, how to have compassion for themselves, how to bring joy into their life, you know, how do they bring more things into their life that's got nothing to do with food and nothing to do with weight that when we can focus on making their um, their life more joyful that actually issues around eating can can go when there's plenty of other things that are there to be feel good about and to feel happy about but but underlying I would say you know I'm, it's very rare that I'm going to get someone to come who's coming in to see me who has good self-esteem and good self-worth so really that tends to be the thing that is underlying that is uh, the main contributor to their eating disorder. So how all these variety of issues end up so commonly in bad relationship with food is it really just about control? It's like anything when we are in distress we look for ways to cope and um, for some people who are in emotional distress that might be alcohol for other people it may be drugs and for other people it may be food um, and you know I think that for you know we, we use food for comfort <laughs> food is comforting food does de-stress us food does make us calm particularly sugary foods and um, so just like some people might turn to alcohol or drugs, some people will turn to food. But actually what's the underlying driver for those behaviours often might be more emotional, psychological distress. So what about warning signs? Are there any warning signs for each of the disorders that you could point out that would make it maybe easier for people to recognise whether they're having problems? Um, well, I guess with, um, with 
more the food restrictive type disorders like anorexia it would be um things like obviously um dramatic weight loss would be an indication perhaps wearing very baggy clothes to try and cover up um would be another um maybe things like um pushing food around the plate being disinterested in food maybe making excuses not to be present at meal times um maybe food being hidden or found in places um checking in bins and things that perhaps people have said they've eaten and then discovering that they haven't that they've cleared their plate so um probably behaviors like that would be warning signs um to look out for um with more of the binge type behaviors i guess it's you know large amounts of money being spent on certain types of foods the likes of the sweets and the chocolates um and those foods coming into the home and then disappearing um things like going to the bathroom after meal times or um perhaps people becoming really fixated with certain types of compensatory type behaviors like exercise and perhaps that over exercising is becoming maybe a bit of an issue um as well but um so those would be some signs perhaps to look out for but again um it can be it can be hard it can be hard to recognize some of those signs because again they are behaviors that quite a lot of people can engage in when they are in dieting mentality and that it can be restrict 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 all week and then they'll you know have their big binge on a Saturday night and buy all their sweets and bring them in so um that it's that maybe for other people around they maybe don't recognize that difference between when is this where's the fine line between this being dieting behavior or this being an an eating disorder behavior what can we do to combat that to stop this whole mentality of diet 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 is the solution for this and diet is the solution for that is there mm-hmm. anything at all we can do to stop this way of thinking and and prevent yeah, issues yeah i think i think it's very difficult because everywhere you look at there there are diets everywhere and you know and the messages are also conflicting um it's so ingrained in our culture that conversations every day are always about weight loss and diets and what have you ate this week and what have you done um and particularly in certain environments where people congregate like gyms that the talk is always really excessive um about dieting and calories and meal plans so it is really hard to escape it but if you recognize that your relationship with food is unhealthy if you realize if you recognize that you have been engaging in dieting behaviors that you recognize that you have been a yo-yo dieter and it's not helping you and it's not working for you um trying to disengage as much as you can from um any activities that promote that so i would get my clients to um like streamline their social media so go through their social media and look you know are they following a lot of fitspo fitness inspiration type pages that actually aren't helpful or are projecting negative imagery or you know six pack abs and you know things like that and get them to unfollow any kind of accounts that maybe aren't good for them aren't aren't sending the right message um 
And really what I try and get my clients to do is to start learning to have faith and have trust in their own body. Um, because when you have been so used to engaging in dieting type behaviours that you almost your your brain almost disconnects from the body and that you 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 tune out of what your your body's own natural hunger and fullness cues you know our body has the ability to regulate our weight naturally by telling you when you're full when you're satisfied when you've had enough to eat and when to stop but we we tend to override those through dieting behaviors and we eat according to time scales and plans and and calorie quotas so it's a it's a lengthy process of learning to turn your back on um all of the um information and the misinformation that is out there around dieting and learning to um tune into your own body's hunger and fullness cues and um i guess trying to make changes that are very subtle and slow without trying to jump straight into extremes of anything so you know for example it just might be for an individual you know how can I start to you know I, I need to eat more veg so how can I start to bring more veg into my diet and maybe just focusing on that one behavior or I don't drink enough water how can I start to drink more water and that they just focus on one habit or one behavior and just put their energy and their attention onto that before they move on to something else an approach I really like is rather than focusing on all the things that you shouldn't be eating how can you focus on some of the things that would be good for you to eat more of let's face it we all need to eat more fruit and vegetables so you know what what about we focus on eating more of those things rather than all the things that you think you're not allowed to eat. What is the best course of action for people who suffer? Say we recognise ourselves that we have an issue. What is the best course of action? Especially, I, I guess it might feel quite intimidating for people to to go and see someone or is the best first course of action is just call someone and go yeah. get help right away I think it's always a very it's a very daunting and a very scary move I think for a lot of people but even just taking that step to talk to someone initially is a really bold move but it's a great move because once you make that first step I suppose the momentum is then is there I suppose the really frustrating and difficult thing is that in Northern Ireland our eating disorder services are extremely limited um, and currently our eating disorder service in Northern Ireland would only take admissions for um, anorexia um, so what I would say is that um, if you um, or a family member perhaps and you're concerned about someone um, who is suffering with anorexia there is a great um, charity organization I think it's called Fight ED um, and they run fantastic training courses for carers and um, so they are fantastic workshops for say parents to go along to and um, to really help them understand the eating disorder better but also helps them to communicate more effectively with their say if it's their child because uh, you know it's, it's a really worrying and terrifying position for a parent to be in 
and because you know as you see it your child just isn't eating and needs to eat what the parent will be doing will be trying to force food um, and for the sufferer that is the last thing um, that they want so the fight ed training course is very um i really recommend it because it really helps parents to understand what's going on in the mind of their child but also um, teaches them how to approach um, and to, I suppose, encourage open discussion and conversation that's not food-focused. Um, so that would be something I would recommend for parents and carers, um, but for um, absolutely a GP appointment um, and seeking referral, if appropriate, seeking referral to the eating disorder service would be what I would recommend. Um, for things um, like bulimia, I would still recommend always GP appointment to discuss because um, your GP may want just to run some tasks and just to check on your health because obviously there can be health implications that come with a condition such as bulimia. Um, Unfortunately, as I said, with the eating disorder service, as it is currently in the restraints that it's under, that if you were seeking counselling, that you would probably be recommended a course of cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, so obviously that is something that you could pursue. Or if you would prefer to seek help privately, then what I would say is just make sure when you're seeking someone privately that they have actually been appropriately trained in eating disorder therapy work and that they take a, a multidisciplinary approach so that your um, counsellor or therapist that you would be seeing would be communicating if needed with your GP um, as well but it's really important just to check the credentials of the person that you're coming to see. And if um, somebody's going through binge eating or just has really negative um, and relationships with food not necessarily maybe leading to such extreme cases like bulimia or anorexia mm -hmm. um but recognize the warning signs that there is not something quite right what is the best best approach to um to take especially if somebody maybe might not feel at ease to just straight away go and seek a specialist help well, i suppose um like I, I kind of touched on a little bit just maybe even trying to find other activities you know other activities that that they can bring into their life that might help them you know so um i would be working a lot with clients teaching things like you know stress reduction techniques we would do a lot of breath work um i'm qualified in emotional freedom techniques so i would teach them how to use tapping for um, reducing stress and anxiety yoga walking baths you know all those kind of self-care activities because quite often um the my clients are not great at looking after themselves they're probably really good at running around and looking after everybody else and putting everybody else's needs before their own so I'm trying to encourage them to how do you prioritize your own self-care how do you help yourself to feel better so if somebody doesn't really feel comfortable maybe taking the step to go to a GP then I would say um, looking at their looking at their life and looking at how well do they practice self-care, what things might be missing and what things could they start to incorporate into their life. We will finish this conversation next week. If you'd like to contact Claire, you can go to www.eat-ology.com.
www.eatology.co.uk where you can find her contact details and learn more about eatology and what Claire does. We talked a little bit about binge eating, something we no doubt all do at times for different reasons. Um, the trouble with binge eating is that we tend to reach for very unhealthy foods. So the recipe for today is a very simple vegan dark chocolate mousse. Something I tend to keep in the fridge to eat with my breakfast, but also at times when I know that I may feel like reaching for something to binge on. And if dark chocolate isn't your thing, you can always sweeten it a little with something like stevia or some fruit. I make two versions of this at the minute, um, chocolate and orange or chocolate and mint. For two servings of this, you need 150 ml of coconut milk for cooking. If you fancy a bit lighter texture, you can do 100 ml of coconut milk and 50 ml of oat milk. Then you'll need 30 grams of grated 100% cacao bar. And if I say 100%, I do mean 100% pure cacao bar. No sugar, no milk, no additives, no sweeteners, no nothing. Just pure cacao bar. Then 15 grams of protein powder of choice, preferably unflavored. I personally use pea protein. And one teaspoon of essence of orange or a few drops of food grade orange essential oil. And you can also add some organic unwaxed orange peel. I also tend to add in a pinch of salt. And you can use a few drops of stevia for a little sweeter taste. Then it's really easy. You just blend all the ingredients together in a food processor. And if the mousse seems too runny, you can add up to a quarter of a teaspoon of xanthan gum to thicken. Then transfer it into a glass jar or another food container with a lid and put it in a fridge. You can let it set for a few minutes and then eat it straight away. Otherwise, it will keep in the fridge fresh for two to three days. Um, it will probably keep for longer, but I find that after the third day, it really doesn't taste that good. For the mint version, it's exactly the same, only instead of your essence of orange or orange oil, you use food-grade peppermint oil. You can also use 100% cacao bar, which has already mint oil in it, if you can get it. And if you can't get 100% cacao bar at all, You can use half and half ratio raw cacao butter and raw, pure, unsweetened cacao powder. You can find this recipe and all the other ones shared to date on our social media, The Sweet Spot on a Farm, on both Instagram and our public group page on Facebook, where you can download them from the file section in a handy PDF format. And if you liked this episode and found it in any way useful, Please support us by rating us on iTunes and submitting an honest review on the podcast app you're using or on the social media. Like, share and comment and let us know what you thought. And remember to tune in for the second part of this episode with Claire Feldman next week. This time we'll talk about food shaming and the obsessions we can have around eating. Have a great week, be kind to yourself and stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.